Today, following worship service, we'll have a short congregational meeting to approve the nominations for next year's consistory members. There are four out of the 12 that are ending their terms. Several of them can serve a second term, and several of them are are completing their second term. Anyway, the list of the nominations is on the back page of your bulletin this morning. Also this morning, we are pleased to have Carl and Angela Lanham with us this morning for worship, along with two of their grandchildren. The reason I'm kind of hesitating, he is not here yet, so (laughs) I hope he has no problem getting here. But anyway, Carl's a familiar face. He has preached here several times at First Church. He became involved here with the Athletes in Action, and then after that he is now with the Nation of Coaches where he is a character coach. So we're happy to have him with us this morning. And I hope he gets here safely. Uh, There are several minutes left before we start our service. This time, just take a moment and greet one another. Before we start, there's one other announcement. The Sunday school class of Aaron Rohrball will not be held today. It will resume next Sunday. So now as we officially start a service, First Church wants to welcome all of you that are gathered here in the sanctuary, along with those listening on radio and watching us on Facebook Live. So for call to worship this morning, will you please rise? This morning is taken from Psalm 65. Verses 1 through 8. Praise await you, our God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds. God, our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and all the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, have armed yourself with strength, who filled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their ways, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders, where morning dawns, Where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. Please remain standing for opening praise songs. Amazing Grace, you are my king and build my life. One more announcement. For those of you who have the large print bulletins, there's an extra course on the first song. Just go ahead and just ignore that. We'll lead you in this praise and worship. I'm sorry I forgot and missed that part. Father, Just as Paul said, may we be persuaded that nor anything else that is created 
will be able to separate us from the love of you, Father, that you have in your Son, Jesus Christ. May we become fully persuaded of your amazing grace.
we honor you, Lord, that you would come and die for us. We are so unworthy. Thank you for covering us with the blood of the Lamb. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever breathe. Father Jesus the name above every other name Father worthy of every breath we could ever breathe I'm not worthy to stand here in front of you Father with prayers none of us are worthy of that Father except by the grace that you have given each and every one of us by the works of your son on the cross we are not allowed to come face to face with you And it's such a blessing, Father. So, Father, as I stand up here this morning, I pray for all those in our congregation, all those in our community that are struggling at this time, Father. Health issues, whatever else may be bothering them, Father. I pray that you'd walk right alongside of them, Lord. I pray that they would let you walk right alongside of them and give them comfort and peace. And Father, I, I pray for all those that have not yet found you. I pray you work on their hearts, Father. That when they are approached with your word, that they hear that with their open ears and open hearts, Father. 
And I pray that the Holy Spirit comes down upon them and helps them get through this time. And I pray that the Holy Spirit comes and informs them on what is needed to do to accept the grace of your salvation that you have offered to us. So, Father, I I pray for our community. I pray for our churches. I pray that the spirit of unity would come down upon churches and the community, Father. I pray that we all come together as one to worship and serve you. Father, there's so much darkness in our world today, Father. I pray that your light, your true light, would light our paths that we're able to walk. And with your guidance, Father, you will guide us through that narrow gate. And we're just so thankful for that, Father. We're thankful for all you do for each and every one of us. We pray for all those that are having trouble during this time of cold weather and stuff. I pray that neighbors would check on them. And I pray for things that you'd put on our hearts. I pray that you open our hearts that we could we could sense when people are in need of something, Father. We can reach out to them and give them your comfort and your peace. Father God, I just thank you for allowing us to worship here together. And Father, we come here freely this morning. But many, there are so many other Christians across the world that are being persecuted for their beliefs, Father. I lift them up to you, Lord. I pray that they remain faithful and strong and obedient. And they will live an everlasting life with you. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to come before you this morning. We offer our prayers up to you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy work were done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For that is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Now will children come forward for the children's chat. Lots of props today. All right, there's a lot going on. Um, yeah, I've got notes. It's a good day. Everybody make it in okay? Pretty anybody cold this morning? Chilly. It's a bit chilly. This is a nice seat. Look at this. About to get real fancy on you. Well, today I want to talk. Yeah, sure. Yeah, there's going to be a lot to see, so it's going to be exciting. I need to maintain confidentiality of these contents here. All right. Good morning, everybody. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about things that are easy to believe and maybe some things that are hard to believe. So I've got some questions for you about what you all believe. Do you sitting here looking at me believe that I shaved this morning? Think I took the razor out, shaved off the old whiskers? You're right. That's a good one, right? Is that easy to believe? Is it easy to believe that I did not shave today? It's pretty. How can you tell? Why is that easy? You can see. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, is it easy to believe that um, today's my first day playing guitar? Is that hard to believe? Yeah, well, because you, you've seen me playing before, right? That's good. How about how many? Is it easy to? Do you believe that I have four kids? Yeah, I mean, you probably know most of them. How about that? I'm, I'm surprised to have four kids sometimes. Um, sometimes that let me know how that works out. Um, would you believe? Do you believe that I have mismatched socks on today? You believe it? I don't. Should we check? I told you, you got to leave me some room. How did I do? Can you believe it? Look at that. Look at that. I mean, they're both wool. They're warm. But yeah, they mismatched. Come on, man. You know, the good news is I have a pair just like this at home. <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> That's great. Now, what about some things that are maybe harder to believe? Like, do you believe I have a tiger in this bag right here? Does anybody believe I have a tiger in this bag? You do? And, oh my goodness, it's a tiger, right? So I had a tiger in the bag. Okay, okay. 
That was a little hard to believe because you kind of expect something big and snarly and ferocious. Okay. Let's see. What else is something hard to believe? Does anyone believe I have a... Does anyone believe this is a... A pillow? Does anyone, does, it, does anyone believe this is a full-size winter coat? You do? You're really... Man, you're gullible, maybe. All right. Let's just see if I can get my zipper undone here on this little parcel. Yeah. Ready? This is the coolest thing ever. I love this. Poof. Yeah, right? Look at that. Look at that. Do you believe it? Can you believe it? Look at that. And it's warm. All right. Does anyone believe that there's a... Does anyone believe there's a reindeer costume in this bag? You do? No way. Are you serious? Do you believe I'll put it on? You do? Oh my golly. Now the good thing is, here's the important part. We're getting close here. It's the most ridiculous pajamas I've ever seen in my life. I'm glad it's a small crowd. Hopefully there's not too many people watching online. You ready? Look at antlers. How cool is that? Okay. So here's the important part. You ready? Today's Bible story is all about a letter to the Corinthians. And Paul is calling out and says, what do you believe? Do you believe it or do you not? Right? There are some hard things to believe. Like, do you believe that Jesus Christ could come back from the dead and be resurrected to save all of you a couple thousand years ago? Yeah. Is that hard to believe or easy to believe? Easy. Well, that is the faith of a child then. You know, today's scripture, they're getting a little, there's a little bit of growliness here toward the Corinthians. Like, hey, if you don't believe all this, you're in hard to believe, you know, easy to believe I don't shave, you know, easy to believe I had a coat. But from Jesus's perspective, that can be hard to believe sometimes. And it's amazing. It's just amazing. Like a lot more amazing than a coat coming out of a little, you know, little pouch, you know. So listen to the Bible story today, because it can all be about how easy or hard is it to believe and what we have to believe as one, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was resurrected on the third day, and is saved a place for us up in heaven. And we are forgiven. You fold your hands and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing these kids to us this morning um, through this wintry weather. Just put a hand of protection around them and just may their faith and may their willingness to believe be a model for all of us in this in this times that we live in. Just bless them as they go from this place. Uh, put your hand on them as they grow in wisdom and stature with you. In your sons, let me pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Clinton. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back to your seats. You know, the funny thing is, that's not the first time I've seen you wear that costume. That's, that's the best part of this whole children's chat. All right. Well, before we collect our offering this morning, we do have a mission moment this morning. We're really grateful to have Coach Carl with us. Um, Coach Carl, when we first met, I think it was my first year here in New Knoxville, you brought a group from with AIA to New Knoxville, and we hosted you guys, and you spoke to the youth group, and it was really great to get to know you, and it's been great to interact with you in the years since then, and we're really grateful that you're here to share with us what God's doing in your life and in your ministry, and so I want to invite you all to welcome Coach Carl. He's going to come on up and share a bit about what God is doing through him and Nation of Coaches. So, Coach Carl, welcome this morning. Good morning, everyone. As Pastor Joel said, my name is Coach Carl, and I am a sports missionary. I serve with a ministry called Nations of Coaches. And let me just say this first. The reason that, one of the reasons that I'm able to do that is because you. So you all, this church financially supports me, and that is the, that is the way I am able to do missionary work, because of the financial giving of Concerned churches, individuals, businesses, and organizations, foundations, that is the way I'm able to do what I do with Nations of Coaches. And if you are here today and God is leading you to support Coach Carl, get in touch with Miss Connie. She has all of my Nations of Coaches information and she'll get it to you. And it will be much needed. After the pandemic, there was, there is a struggle to get support. That being said, Nations of Coaches, why Coaches. Why do we serve coaches? So our, our ministry is predominantly targeted to college coaches, college men's basketball coaches and players. Billy Graham once said, 
I didn't hear him say it, but I know he said it. And he is not true because he said it. It's true and he said it. Coaches impact more people in one year than the average person impact in a lifetime. And I believe it. Because when, when we watch the TV and we watch these college coaches and it, it just looks so glamorous, it looks so good, they're in these nice suits and everything is nice. And they, they, they are animate sometimes. But that is just a small snapshot of what the world of basketball, what the world of college basketball really is. Because it never stops. It accelerates, it intensifies in October. And it goes to another level of intensity after Christmas when the region, when the conference game started, starts. And it goes to another level of intensity when the, when the uh, conference tournament starts. And it goes to another level of intensity in March, and they called it March Madness. So it's, it's, it doesn't stop. After March Madness, the recruiting cycle starts. And it, it keeps going. It, it never stops. Even with the, with the play, with the, uh, the uh, protocol now where players can leave whenever they want to, you have, coaches have to recruit their players that's on the team during the season to keep them there. And the life of a college coach is not that glamorous because there are expectations. The coach have expectations for himself. The coaches have expectations for the players, and the athletic director, the president of the universe, have expectations for the coaches. And this is the thing about expectations. Sometimes they're just not realistic. It's not. So in order to be a head coach, before, before someone signs a person to be a head coach of a basketball team, obviously he had to win somewhere before he got there. So the expectation comes from looking at a person's previous success and then looking at that, looking at that person's physical abilities and then saying, this is what we should get from you because of what we saw. But all of the time, all of the time, that just doesn't add up. Because in order for a person or a player or a team to have a really good winning season, one thing has to happen. It doesn't have, doesn't have a whole lot to do with the coach. You have to have talent. You have to have players. If you don't have players in college that can play, it doesn't matter how good you are with the exit. No, you're not going to win. But then sometimes you will have these players, and these players have expectations for themselves that, that they've set, and their goal is I average 20 in high school and 10. I need to be able to average 20 at least, 18 and, and 9 in college. But coach doesn't see me that way. So that's pressure on me. And, 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 look, and look at it this way. A lot of those players, a lot of those coaches, when they're on this level, they don't really know who they are. You ask them who they are, they'll tell you what they do. Who are you? I'm a college basketball coach. Who are you? I'm a college basketball player. That's what you do. And there's some people that, in, that are in, in other fields that don't really know who they are. They'll tell you what they do. But when things are not going well, when things are not going well, when the team is not performing, meeting your expectations, when the player is not meeting their own expectations, the player knows he's a good player, but he, for some reason, can't play this type of defense. And for some reason... This guy is a turnover king, and this guy can't guard anybody. This guy can't make a three. And on social media, they're telling me I'm trash. And all that I know about myself is I am a basketball player. What do I do? I am a college basketball coach, but my team can't win. My team, my team struggles to score 70 points in a game. College game. And that is... That is a reflection on me because I have these expectations and the, and the, the athletic director and the uh, college president have these expectations about us winning. And it's all on me because I am the coach. But guess what? The wife has expectations for the husband, too. 
The husband spent all of his time with these 12 athletes or her time with these 12 athletes that they don't really have time to be the husband at home or the parent at home. So what do they do? Medicated. Drugs, alcohol, who knows what else to make them feel better. That's why we do what we do. Because once, once they ask for or, or see that they need help, we help them by serving them and we connect them and we equip them. Level. The answer is Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Coach, this is what you need to do. You need to seek the king first. Don't, don't, don't worry about basketball right now. Just do this first. Seek the king. Every kingdom, because of the K-I-N-G, every kingdom has a king. And in order for you to be a part of this kingdom, you have to get to know the king. King of kings, lord of lords. You have to get to know him. Have a relationship with him, coach, first. If you want to put a lot of bold rocks in a, in, a, in, a, in a container, you have big rocks, smaller rocks, medium-sized rocks, large rocks, gravels and sand, put the big rocks in first. If you, want to get, if you want to get a lot of them in there, if you put the sand in first, you're not going to get many. If you put the gravels in first, you're not going to get many of the big rocks. But if you put the big rocks in first, put the next-sized rocks in next, Put the sand in and put a little water in it. You'll have room to put more sand. But the big rock, the big rock for everybody is get to know the king of the kingdom, Jesus. Get to know him. And once you get to know him, you will be able to see life not from your perspective, but you'll begin to see life from his perspective. You will want to be more like him, not more like that other coach down the street that's winning all of those games, doing what he's doing. You will want to be more like him. And, and once you do that, once you do that, you put God first, he's going to make it where everything else is going to fall in place. Does that mean you're going to have undefeated seasons? No. Does it mean that all of your players are going to do everything you ask them to do when you ask them to do it? No. But what it doesn't mean, what it does mean is, when it feels like or seems like everything else is unraveling, you're going to know you're not alone. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he gave you a promise. All things, not some things, not just the good things, all things, coach, all things, everybody, all things. When you know the king, all things will work out for your good according to his glory and his righteousness. It's going to work out for your good because he is in it with you. He's in the struggle with you. That being said, last summer was, was a pretty good summer for Coach Kelly. And Coach Kelly says hi to everyone. And he's, he told me to tell you that he's in Texas and there is a cold front coming. And it's going to get all the way down to 50 this week. So pray for him. Pray for him. He says hello. So we had the opportunity to take a, a team of athletes, actually a high school team, varsity team, and a JV team, to Jamaica. And we did camps with the, with the players and the team. And the, we helped the players learn how to teach individual skills to other kids. And we went to some of the poorest areas in Jamaica. And it was an eye-opening experience for those, for those guys that lived there in Waco, Texas. But they were very engaged, and they under, they understood that if you want if you want to be able to do something better, help someone else do that same thing, and you'll learn while you're teaching other people. You're teaching them, and my wife got to go on this one. That that's what made it really special. She got to see Coach Carl do his team time Bible studies twice a day. It is what it is. I have to do it in a way. Where the people that's listening can understand it and apply it to their lives as teenagers or preteens sometimes. But that, that's what it is. Before the tour is over, Pastor Joel, 
nine of those guys, eight of those guys rededicated their lives and wanted to be baptized knowing what baptism really means. And the other one accepted Jesus for the first time and was baptized. These were the guys that we took to the tour. We, we shared the gospel message with the people that we, that we ministered to while we were there. And we have, they have people on the ground there that helps them get connected with churches. And that is the part in ministry overseas that I, that I'm really not encouraged by because once we leave, we don't really know if anybody, the seed is in the ground, but if anybody going to water the seed, is, and is anybody going to pull the weeds out and help the seeds to grow and multiply? So we don't know that part. In, in September, we were able to go with another ministry. And one of the things about ministry, believe it or not, one of the things about ministry that's, that's mind-boggling is a lot of ministry organizations, I'm going to say sports ministry organizations that love sports, basketball, love kids, love athletes, love coaches, can't get along with each other. Just can't do anything together. You do your thing, stay there. I'm going to do my thing, stay here, you stay there. But that's, but we had the opportunity to merge with three different sports organizations and go to Zimbabwe. And hundreds, hundreds of kids accepted Jesus as Lord. So we were able to go and train coaches how to teach basketball, but do it in a way, and we had three pillars that we taught them, do it in a way that caused kids to be focused, caused kids to learn how to persevere, and caused kids to learn how to do everything with great integrity. And thousands of people were accepting Jesus as their Savior. But this is the same thing I just said. When we leave, was it just an event, or is anybody going to continue to ward and nurse these kids and these adults as they come as they come up. And I'm looking forward to see what God has for us in 2004. I will say, I hope he gives us more in 2004. So everybody's been quiet. Everybody's been looking at Coach Carr. I'm going to give you a chance to participate. So when I say God is good, I want you to say, and say it like you mean it, all the time. God is good. Okay. God is good. Okay. And when I say all the time, I want you to say God is good. All the time. Okay. We're going to do it this time and Coach Carl's going to sit down. God is good. God is good. All the time. I do want to take a moment and pray for you, Coach Carl, and your ministry, um, and I can pray for you from right here. And let, so I invite you to pray with me as we lift up Coach Carl and his ministry. Father God, we thank you so much that Coach Carl and his family was able to be here with us today. I pray your continued blessing on his ministry. It's, it's so encouraging to hear what you are doing in him and through him and through the nation of coaches. Uh, what an impact they're able to have on the lives of young athletes and and not just uh, here in the States, but also around the world. And we're just grateful that we have an opportunity to support them. Lord, uh, we pray your financial uh, provision for them. Uh, we pray that you would provide all that is needed so that you can continue this ministry. Uh, but Lord, even more than that, we pray spiritual uh, provision and blessing upon him. And I pray you continue to equip him to do the work you've called him to do. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So this time I want to invite the choir forward, and as we do that, I want to remind you our offering this morning does go to support our radio ministry fund here at First Church. Uh, as always, uh, the radio ministry is a great opportunity for us to make an impact beyond the walls of our church here in New Knoxville, uh, but to reach many people that we may never even see or meet, uh, but with the gospel message. So we are grateful that we have an opportunity to be on the radio and want to encourage those uh, that are here today, if you're, if you're willing to give, I encourage you to give as you feel led to, to the radio ministry fund. Let's pray for God's blessing on this offering. Father God, uh, we just, not just here in New Knoxville, but as far as that radio broadcast is able to reach, I pray that you would bless this offering to further that work. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Before the throne of God above, 
scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, which is on page um, 1,154 in your pre-Bible. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the, at the, time, at the same time, most of whom 
are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Thanks, Parker. You may be seated. Father, I thank you for the reading of your word, and now as we turn our attention to it, we ask that your Holy Spirit would work in us. Uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today, and may you give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, we began a new sermon series talking about what it means to be one in Christ and how that unity in Christ impacts the way that we not only live our lives as individuals, but how we interact as brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, last week, that's where we started, that our identity is as children of God and that if we are children of God, then we are brothers and sisters and that impacts how we live in this world. Today, we're going to turn our attention to what it means to be one in our beliefs about God. Again, thinking of Ephesians 4, which is where we kind of started last week, Paul writes there that, beginning of verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so our faith, our hope in the gospel is important, and that does bring us together as Christians. Remember back when I was in college and in seminary, at the start of every, every course, the teacher would hand out a syllabus, and the syllabus would outline the expectations and the requirements for each class, including the topics that were to be covered. And so if you knew that a topic was on the syllabus, then you better pay attention to it, right? Because it's going to show up on tests. It's going to show up in the, in the coursework that's expected throughout the, the year. When Paul is writing here to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, he's giving them a snapshot about what is most important in the gospel, Right, he's giving this is like a teacher with the syllabus saying this is the most important thing. Paul says that he is passing on what is of first importance. And so when we think about our faith, when we think about what it means to be united together in one faith, in one hope, then we gotta start here where Paul starts in first Corinthians fifteen. And so we must understand that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our faith. It's the, it's the foundation that everything else is built on, which is why Paul says that it is of first importance. So as Christ followers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we've got to commit to what is of first importance because it will bring us unity. And he wants to remind them of the gospel that he preached to them. Now, <laughs> we need to be reminded too, don't we? We need to be reminded over and over again because we tend to be forgetful people. Just like God's people in the wilderness after they left Egypt, they kept turning back to Egypt. They wanted to go back there because they forgot what it was like to be slaves to Pharaoh. We tend to forget how good God is to us. We tend to forget how important our faith is and we wander away. And so we need to remind ourselves what is important. And the fact of the matter is we never outgrow our need for the gospel, right? We may think that, all right, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Like that is, that's the basics. And then we graduate and we move on to more important things. But the truth is we never outgrow that simple, basic gospel truth. And we need to remind ourselves of it over and over and over again. Yes, God does draw us deeper into a relationship with him. That relationship grows, should grow throughout our lives, but we never outgrow our need for the gospel. I spoke once about this idea of theological triage. I know some of you have served as first responders. Uh, my dad was a volunteer fire firefighter for a long time when I was growing up. And if you are a first responder showing up at the scene of an emergency, whatever that emergency may be, you need to be able to decipher, you know, in a moment, what is most important, right? What, what issue needs to be dealt with first because it is of more importance than the others. Not that the other issues going on don't matter, but as a first responder, you need to identify and identify quickly what is of first importance when you show up on the scene so you can deal with it appropriately. 
In the same way, we need to be able to do theological triage. We need to look at our faith, look at our beliefs, and understand that there are things of first importance, which implies that there are also things of second importance and third importance. Right? So we need to be able to look at our faith, look at our lives, and say, this is the most important thing. Right? This is what matters. This is core to our faith. And in doing so, then we also need to recognize that there are some things that are second tier issues or third tier issues. And so we need to know the difference between those things. Right? Sometimes those differences are real and good, but it's all, there are also differences that, that don't disqualify people from the faith. You know, it's important. Our theological convictions are good and important. And I do have theological convictions, but it's important that within that we know what the difference is between first importance, second importance, and third importance. And what Paul is telling us here is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection is a first importance issue. And we need to be able to stand on that. And you may ask yourselves, right, what is the difference between second tier issues and third tier issues? Right? Those differences may be differences between churches and denominations. They may be different perspectives on interpreting the Bible when it comes to issues like end times or styles of worship or even the sacraments. Those second and third tier issues are important, but they don't disqualify people from being faithful Christ followers. And so you may ask yourselves, what, what would be a, a go-to source? How do we know what is of first importance and what are gospel issues. Well, one of the things that, that God has provided for us throughout the, uh, of course, the scripture and what Paul is saying here is the first importance is the gospel, um, is Christ's death and resurrection. But God's also provided other tools like the apostles creed. You know, these are, these are words that have been passed down to us that are, uh, that outline, they are the guardrails that help us understand what is Orthodox Christianity and what is not. And so the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. See, those are first-tier issues. You start plucking away at those basic core truths of our faith, and things start to crumble, right? You take away that God is the creator of heaven and earth, and we begin to lose who God is at his very core. We begin to take away that Jesus died and was, rose again, and we take away from our salvation. You see, those are core first-tier issues. So it's important to know what you believe. It's important to understand your faith because that, those building blocks, those, that foundation is so important for us. You know, some people are turned off by that word theology, right? The study of God. But in reality, we're all theologians, whether we realize it or not, because we all have thoughts on God. We all have understanding of who He is. And so we want to be good theologians. We want to have good beliefs and understanding of who God is and what he's done for us. Now, what does this have to do with unity, right? Why am I hammering this point home again about, about first tier issues and second and third? Well, unity is helped when we're able to major on the majors and minor on the minors. When we as Christians can agree that, that the gospel is the center of our faith, that Christ died and rose again, and that is critical to what it means to follow Christ. But it also helps us when we're able to keep the main things the main things and then be able to understand that there are second or third degree issues that we may disagree on. Sometimes unity is hindered, is destroyed when we start to elevate second or third tier issues to first importance. And the opposite is true too. Is Unity is, is hindered when we take first tier issues like the gospel and in uh, and deflate them down to second or third tier issues. When we say it doesn't really matter that Jesus died on the cross, or it doesn't really matter that he rose from the dead, that also hinders our unity in the faith. 
And so if we want to maintain the unity that God has given us, we need to make sure we are majoring on the majors and minoring on the minors and keeping Christ at the center of everything that we do. There's a movie from many years ago called uh, The Incredibles. It was one of my favorites when I was younger. It's it's this Pixar animated movie about superhero family, right? And in the first of those movies, the main villain is this guy named Syndrome. Now, Syndrome himself didn't have any superpowers, but he was using technology to mimic the powers that these supers had. And his goal was to provide this technology to everybody so that everybody would be super, right? Everybody would have the same abilities, the same powers. And in doing so, he said that if everybody is super, then no one is, right? If everybody has these powers, then it's really not that big of a deal and people wouldn't be considered superheroes, You see, that's the same thing when I'm talking about with these first tier, second tier, third tier issues. If we make everything of first importance, if we make everything a critical do or die issue, then we are destroying the importance of anything, right? If everything is a first tier issue, then, then nothing is a first tier issue. If everything is of critical importance, then nothing is of critical importance. And so that's why Paul here reminds us that there are things of first importance and it's the death and resurrection of Christ that's at the center of it. And so he says here that we must receive and stand on this gospel message. He says that it's, it's this gospel that, we have re, that they have received and on which they have taken their stand and held firm. Right? The gospel message is a proclamation of what God has done for us in Christ. That term gospel means good news. And, and it was used during that day to talk about, uh, right? Caesar is Lord was one of the, uh, gospel messages of the Roman Empire. But in Christ, we are turning that message on its head because it's not Caesar who is Lord, but it is Jesus who is Lord. And this good news is the proclamation that God has accomplished our salvation for us in Christ. It is a past tense proclamation. What I mean by that is the gospel is not so much about what you need to do in order to save yourself, but it's about what God has already done in order to save you. And so you receive that good news by faith. You receive the grace of God by faith. And then you stand firm on it. That word stand firm is the same word that's used three times in Ephesians 6. Pastor Tori uh, finished up her sermon series in the fall going through the armor of God. And three times in that chapter, Paul says to stand firm. It's that same word, to stand firm in on the gospel. That's an active stance, right? It's, a, it's more than just a passive stance, but it's an active, um, active strong uh, faith. So faith is more than just intellectual belief, but it includes our our allegiance. It includes our actions. It includes aligning our lives according to what we believe. So it's more than just a passive reception of information, but it is a, an active decision to align your life along those lines. So here's the thing. If Jesus really did die on the cross for our sins, according to the scriptures, and if he really did rise again from the grave three days later, that changes everything, doesn't it? That changes everything about our lives. That changes everything about this world that we live in. And it should change everything about who we are in Christ and who we are as the church. Because if Jesus is alive, then everything changes. And we need to align our lives around him accordingly. And that's why the death and resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our faith. It is the linchpin that holds everything together. Right, A linchpin, if you... uh, Remember my, my dad would always, uh, drive us around and now the grandkids around on the tractor, right? Put the wagon on the back, hook, hook, the, hook it up to the tractor and drive the kids around the yard. You know, that we always loved it. Um, you know, if you, if you don't secure that wagon properly, it could easily pop off. And so you have a linchpin, you slide it in and slide a bolt across there to hold the wagon in place. So even if you hit a bump, right, it holds the wagon where it should be. But if the linchpin isn't there, if it's broke, you hit one bump, bam, the wagon comes falling off. See, the resurrection is the linchpin of our faith. It's what holds our faith together. And if you take it away, our faith falls apart. If you take the resurrection away and suddenly life gets rough and you start hitting some bumps, your faith is worthless. And in fact, that's what Paul goes on to say later in 1 Corinthians 15. He says that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, our faith 
is useless, that we are still stuck in our sins, that there is nothing to save us and no hope. But Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. And so there is hope and our faith is not useless. But that is the linchpin that does hold it all together. Now, there are common arguments throughout history about uh, why the resurrection did not happen. Right. And those arguments just don't hold water. There are a couple of examples of those. Some people say that the disciples just stole the body and hid it somewhere. Now, the problem with that theory is that is that there are way too many people in on that secret for it not to be found out. Right. Mark um, Benjamin Franklin once said that three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. Right. And so if that was happened, if the if there was this big conspiracy that the disciples stole the body, hid it somewhere, and then they went around telling everybody that Jesus rose from the dead, that secret would have come out eventually. People died because they believed Jesus rose from the dead. People willingly went to their deaths, and people just don't do that for a lie that can be easily debunked. Another theory is that, is that they simply went to the wrong tomb, and when they arrived at an empty tomb... They assumed that Jesus rose from the dead, and so they were just mistaken. But that theory doesn't hold much water either because there were women who saw where Jesus was buried. There's a record of which tomb he was buried in. And so it would easily be disproven if they went to the wrong tomb. All the authorities had to do was go find Jesus' body and bring it out and show them. But that never happened either. So there are common arguments about how people try to explain away the resurrection, but the reality is that it did happen. Paul gives two reasons for us to believe the truth of the resurrection. And one is the scriptures. Twice here he says that Jesus died and rose again according to the scriptures. See, the Old Testament testifies about what needed to take place. And in Luke 24, after the resurrection, Jesus meets some of his disciples and, and twice in that chapter, he sits down with them and explains from the scriptures what needed to take place, what the scripture said about him. And so we have scripture to testify to the truth and the validity of the resurrection. And second, we have these eyewitnesses. Why do you think Paul lists all of these eyewitnesses in scripture in, in 1 Corinthians 15 verses uh, 4 and following? Right? He, he lists these eyewitnesses because they were still alive to testify to what they saw. There were people who saw Jesus rise from the dead. They, they ate meals with him. They walked along the road with him. And Paul says, if you don't believe me, go talk to them. Right? Eyewitness testimony was so important. And that's why some of the, that's why we have these gospel records of Christ's life, death, and resurrection because these were eyewitnesses who who walked with Jesus, who saw what happened. And they wanted to tell the world their story. There is credible historical evidence that affirms the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And if the resurrection happened, then Jesus is the Son of God. And He has authority to forgive sins. He is the resurrected King and He changes everything about our lives. We can know with confidence that Jesus is alive. And it changes everything. It changes what we believe because it affirms everything that Jesus said and did, including forgiveness and eternal life. And it changes how we should live. Because if that is true, then we need to align our lives with Christ. And if we align, if we as individuals choose to align our lives with Christ, that's going to bring unity to His church. Because if we keep the main thing the main thing, if we focus on what is of first importance, that's going to bring us together. It's going to help us to overcome whatever other differences we may have because we are agreeing as one to keep the gospel at the center of it all. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your gospel, which is of first importance. We thank you that your son Jesus died and rose again for us. And we ask that you would help us to keep that at the center of our lives and of this church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we close out our service today, we are going to we are going to sing our benediction together. The song is the blessing and the words are in your bulletin.